0: Hi, here's Florian with a new podcast guest, so I would say introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Tom, Thomas Bachem. Um, I'm 34 years old now, uh, now, and I'm an entrepreneur um, originally from Cologne, now living in Berlin, running a university these days, so um, officially calling myself a chancellor of a university, but uh, founded several internet startups before and you founded a lot of internet startups before so can
1: you tell us a bit about them what were their what did they do and how did you
0: start them like how did it come together sure yeah it's it's indeed um a couple of companies um i would say one of the reasons is that none of them became as super successful as i had hoped so i moved on to new ventures but um most importantly um I was always like interested in different industries and different kind of products because I'm a very product oriented uh, kind of guy and uh, that made me always like every let's say 4 years move on to something new um I think that has changed now so um Doing what I'm doing now, I think uh, is is or I, I know actually I feel it every day is much more fulfilling uh, to me and probably a thing that I'm doing for at least another ten years. Um, but I started very early on um, when actually when I was like 13 years old roundabout because that was the time when I uh, taught myself how to do software development and I became a software developer um, and then back then um, like helped other. Companies around the corner to create their websites because back then everybody needed their first website um, and uh, so I became like um, became a freelancer first and then um, then at some point an entrepreneur which for me means not <clears throat> working um, not working for other customers not being in some kind of service business but <clears throat> working on own ideas and products that are, that can scale beyond your own your own time and capabilities and um, that's when I started um, seven load back when I was 19 in 2005 and seven load was a huge um, like online video and also photo platform um, which was basically launched in parallel to companies like Flickr and even YouTube and yeah. we were kind of a like a combination of both and <clears throat> at that time then also one of the very first, like new and bigger more ambitious startups in the so-called like web 2.0 movement in Germany basically the time after the nuclear winter of the dot-com crisis yeah. back in 2006 slowly slowly um coming uh like the internet startup world coming alive again and we um we had over 26 million euros of of uh, um, like investments um, getting in from companies uh, and and investors like like Deutsche Telekom, um, which had a big fund back then, T Venture, or also Hubert Border Media, big publishing house, and and many many more investors, and that was a. Like, I mean, it's still a lot of money today, but uh, back then it was a spectacular uh, big investment. And um, that made me obviously learn a lot since I was like 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. When I ran this company, I did it together with with a co-founder, who um who is ten years older than me, yeah. and so I also learned a lot from him. Um, he was more of the like uh, sales kind of guy and and outgoing networking guy, and I was uh, still like the the technical guy, strictly speaking. Um, <clears throat> for me, that was a, was a I think very very strong connection be- because um, because like I think as a technical person, I was kind of more. Careful and perhaps sometimes you could even say a bit more introvert. Yeah. And I think I learned a lot about the power of networking and and friendships and what um, like unbelievable things you can achieve by just like knowing the right people and and getting them to do some favors for you and stuff like that. So that was totally mind blowing for me back then. What my co-founder always like um yeah made possible through 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 other people and um i think that also um yeah made me these days a very well rounded and also very rare combination of a <clears throat> of an like outgoing entrepreneur on one hand and someone who's very product focused and technically um able to to create products um by myself and <clears throat> then in 2000 and uh, 10, we sold 7load to one of the investors, Hubert Border Media, which was a strategic investor publishing house. And um, and I uh, actually moved on right to my next venture, like uh, basically a month after selling the company, because um, together with the same co-founder, by the way, because I was very interested also in gaming. Okay. Um, and that was because... I was always a product-focused guy, as I said a couple of times already. And gaming, uh, creating games, is a very um, yeah very challenging thing. Yeah. Um, it is um, um, back then we had uh, like the, the big thing were browser games, and this was also a little little later um, yeah. games like Farmville and social games came up, and we were very interested in that space. I made this decision because I just had a passion and an interest in doing a game but not necessarily because i thought it's a great business idea yeah. <laughs> and i learned that also the hard way because um <clears throat> flip life uh, it was called back then was a like real life online simulation browser game um we um we like had to sell it but for not not a very successful price like about Two and a half years later, um, because we realized that that gaming is a very hit-driven business, even more than startups in general, I would say. That meaning that um, that's that's also the reason why like all the big successful gaming companies um, are basically launching game after game all yeah. the time, because um, it's a bit like running a music label. So so you need multiple. Um, products out there, and then see which of them work and we just had this one game, and um that wasn 't successful enough to to finance the whole company so but then still, what I learned there was <clears throat> obviously a lot about products again and um and also about how you can still even when the the company itself isn 't that big of a success, make it possible to sell the company <clears throat> we sold it to a to a um to another gaming big bigger and more um more successful gaming company also from cologne. I did it back in Cologne back then. Um which was actually founded by a study friend of mine. Okay. And um so we had a personal connection and a lot of trust and he uh he was in search for a lot of talent and we had a lot of great developers and designers. Oh, okay. So you
1: mainly bought it for the for
0: Yeah. The, it was a was area. a talent talent acquisition basically and um but still like a very, great, very good outcome for especially all the employees involved and, and, and obviously much better than closing down um, or even letting a company go bankrupt. And that was, that was also a very um, interesting chapter of my entrepreneurial life. And then I uh, stepped back a little and said, hey, okay, perhaps not directly jump into the next venture again. And instead I, I did two things. Um, one is I co-founded the German Startups Association, okay, yeah. which um, which um, is like a political lobby organization for startups here in Germany. And um, that that actually came from my observation that, um, um, I mean, I was always someone uh, having learned that through my co-founder back then who was attending a lot of conferences and events. And I had a, had a very um, big network uh, to other entrepreneurs and at some point i realized that all of them were constantly like um like like complaining how politics don't help at all or even yeah. um even uh, like yeah slow us down um, in the startup world and that's totally right and it's totally right to complain about that but then at some point i had this thought and i think i read it some <clears throat> read it somewhere before that entrepreneurs are people who don't complain, but instead change things. Yeah. And um, and it struck me at some point that I said, "Hey, like, but we should do something about that, and not just wait for the politicians to come to us." And that's why. I, and then I said, I, Germany seems to be country of associations."
1: Yeah.
0: So we founded the so-called German Bundesverband Deutsche Startups and um and and i had some more entrepreneurs join me and we built up this organization which is like has uh, more than 1000 members these days is a very influential lobby organization and i did this um since then so since 2012 voluntarily on the side yep. um so i put in a lot of work i did a lot of travel and i uh, learned a lot about politicians and politics and that was very interesting personally especially as well Um, And also very exciting. I mean, we had so many, I don't know, I had the personal phone numbers of of ministers or I traveled with them to Silicon Valley and stuff like that. And that's obviously very exciting if you've never seen that. But at some point you realize that it's nice, but it's very hard still to change things. Right. And and um, but for me, it was a good thing to do back then in 2012, um, because uh, it helped me to leverage my network, stay connected to all these um, entrepreneurs and, and obviously meet a lot of new entrepreneurs and influential people. And uh, the other thing I did to to basically satisfy my, my uh, entrepreneurial and product focus role is I created a, a hobby side project which was called Lebenslauf.com so an online resume creator <clears throat> and um, it was like Basically came out of an idea because uh, like uh, an, an old friend of mine at some point asked me what, whether I could help her with her CV and right. converting it into a PDF file and stuff like that. And I um, I um, I Googled for her basically like hey there 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 should be a tool for that right? And then I realized that that when you were looking for terms like I don't know like CV template, um, how to create a good resume. All this stuff, especially in German, there was only shitty sites on top, and um, and then I had this idea of hey, you should create a what you see is what you get online editor, which is which feels much more like Word, but like helps you to create a great CV. And um, it's it really started more as a hobby project because um, I I really um, loved doing all of this by myself uh, alone together like coding, designing, so basically working as a one-man army on such a project. But then it actually became more and more successful. Um, and and at some point I was approached by bigger companies whether I uh, would sell it. There also my, my network helped a lot because I was approached by one company and then I proactively approached all of their competitors yeah. also, <laughs> basically. Yeah, awesome. And that was, that was possible because I knew people through conferences. It's much harder to do this, like by sending out cold emails, yeah. and um, in the end, uh, sold it to Xing, so the German LinkedIn, basically in 2014, and then stayed with them for a bit more than a year to, to basically hand it over to them, and uh, and it turned out to be a very, very successful company, and sale also for me, and um, Especially since it was a one-man project and 100% owned by myself, um, no investors and stuff like that on board. So, very different than the venture-backed companies I did before, and uh, I think also a very interesting entrepreneurial story because it's something that I I would say like typical founders wouldn't think about that much because it's not as you know flashy and and not so much to talk about. But um, a tool that. Um, is like um very very successful also uh, successfully used by people. So when I were um, went to conferences on stage and talked about it and I asked like whoever used Lebenslauf.com to create their C V it's basically like I don't know like twenty thirty percent of the people raised their hands. So it's basically the standard for doing CVs in, in German speaking countries these days for many people. So um that's that's very cool to see. And um then I uh, then I actually uh, went to 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 go on and to do what I do now, which I always wanted to do, but never knew how to do, and that is to to build a university for software developers that is much more hands-on and practice-oriented um, than all the universities out there. Because um, what I what I didn't talk about yet is that. Um, I also studied, of course, at some point, because, I mean, my parents wanted me to study. Yeah. I wanted to be a student, to be yeah. honest. So, I mean, I worked so much on the side, even as a school student already, that I still wanted to, to have some kind of student life, which turned out to not work out so well because I founded all these companies. But, um, but uh, I, I was reluctant to study something like computer science yeah. or informatic in Germany because it's very... Very math focused, very theoretic. And for me, like creating digital products was always about not just programming, but also like creating concepts, designs. I was always this like full stack kind of person, and not just in terms of software development, but also design. And um and yeah for me it was always much more about creativity and creating things and not so much about about all this theoretic stuff. And uh, so I studied business instead at a business school. Um because um because I liked this approach of being more personal and more practice-oriented, which it was. I didn't take Uh, So much with me from that, to be honest, because a business school is like business studies are very generalistic still. And also, I think not made for entrepreneurs because they usually talk about like huge corporations and obviously like uh, economics, market economics, which is good to know, but doesn't help you so much if if you're a lonely entrepreneur out there uh, trying to start a new business. And, um, but I learned a lot about how a small university works and that it's actually, that it doesn't always have to be these like super huge um, um, public or even privately funded uh, universities because the one I went to was in Cologne and was a very small one back then with about 300 students when I started. And so basically, like after a few weeks after starting my studies there, I asked myself why there isn't something like this business school, but for technology, like yeah. a tech school let's yeah. let's say and and i um and I uh, took this idea with me for all those years, also as an employer, realizing that um when I was looking for developers and designers that they're basically that they the good ones were always self taught some of them studied, but even the ones who studied for example computer science said that their actual skill set was self-taught and stuff like that, and so I realized that that um, yeah, there is no no seems to be not a really good program to prepare you for becoming a great software developer or like who like who's able to create good web applications and websites and apps these days, and um, and I always had this idea in my mind, and then was like after selling Lebenslauf.com was able to. A, through like, um, through my, my own financial means, but also B, through all the stuff I've learned, this huge network i would built, I've built through the German Startups Association to, um, yeah, to start this project. And most importantly, I found, um, two great co-founders, uh, Manuel Doldra and Jonathan Rüth, who, like were very um, interested in education for a longer time and had experience in building up universities for like their former employer already, and um, this is always something that was.
1: Which company builds up universities?
0: <laughs> Klett. So Klett ah, is the the, the the big the, German uh, schoolbook company, yeah, basically,
1: publisher. They build up universities?
0: Yeah, they do a lot actually. They um, so they they have a lot of. Um, Different uh, subsidiaries, and what they, what many people also, basically no one, I guess, knows is that all these, um, these, uh, these fernhochschulen, like remote, yeah. universities, remote universities, online universities, stuff like that, like ELS or EurofH or SGD, yeah. all of them also belong to Kled, uh to the group, and they have kindergartens, they have schools. And they didn't have universities back then, and my, my two co-founders back then helped them to go into that field. They actually even bought my former university, the Cologne Business School, um, a few years ago. So, um, yeah, that's very, like, I mean, I think it's, it's a very smart move, because they, they probably also anticipate that school books, like, uh, will change a lot in the next decade. Let's hope so, at least, for us. And, um, and so they diversify. And um, yeah, and so my co founders made a lot of experience there, and then um, obviously uh, knew much more about how to do all this like bureaucratic stuff, how to get state recognition yeah. as a as a private university, and uh, and just in general, we we are like a, a great team and like really work really well together. And uh, that's um, why and when we started Code, which was like at the end of 2015, we did a lot of preparation um, in like getting it accredited, as I said, and obviously coming up with a didactical model and an idea of how exactly our studies can be much more practice oriented and feel much more natural. then, then like this this typical approach to, to studying um, and we, we developed a project-based teaching approach which we which we implemented here and then then like in summer of 2017 uh, got state recognition finally and also a few months later already had our first 88 students starting with us these days we're like uh, 360 students and in total I think like then another 50. 50 um, people who work here you now, a lot of external lecturers, obviously, yeah. and so a really cool community and ecosystem of very international and ambitious uh, students who are like most of them very, are very entrepreneurial also because they basically um, for them for them it's it's also very exciting to join such a young university which is itself still kind of a startup yeah and um, so that's basically what what we're doing now, and um, yeah happy to answer lots of questions about so, um, do you, like how many how much money do you need to pay to attend the university <laughs> yeah so um what many people at least in Germany, where people are used to free public education don't get is that private universities don't get any financial support from yeah. the state so Whatever you do, you have to find the money for it yourself, yeah. and um, that that means we we uh, either need students or companies to pay for it, basically, yeah. or you need a big philanthropist donor uh, who just gives it out for free. But um, we we didn't want that because we wanted to stay independent yeah. and and authentic. And um, at the same time, we are doing a lot of um, partnerships with companies and companies are certainly helping a lot to finance the university. But um, for me, it was important that our actual, real, main customers are the students themselves. So we can always act in their best interest. I think that's the most authentic way to do it. Uh, so we we take tuition. Um, students um, can choose to either pay a monthly fee which is uh, these days uh, about 850 euros so in total over like 3 years of studies it's about 30000 euros yeah but most of our students don't choose that but instead a model that we also offer from the very beginning on which is a so-called income share agreement yeah. pay later model where you where you study for free, and um, and um, promise that the first ten years after your studies, you give us um, a share of your income. If you have a meaningful income, meaningful income means about like at least twenty thousand euros a year or more um, in net income, and um, and then you give us about eight and a half to ten and a half percent, depending yeah. on some some things. Uh, and that's that's the model that enables everyone to study with us totally regardless of their financial or their parents financial um, situation and um, and which is like super safe for you also because like really if you don't earn any money you never have to pay us Um, so it fits very good also with uh, careful German people (laughs) but as I said uh, fact is that uh, nearly half of our students these days are actually not from Germany but how
1: you keep this then running? You're so new if most of the people um, choose the second option, that means you get paid later. Mm-hmm. So how do you pay the bills right now?
0: Mm. So um, instead of having like this one big um, investor slash donor, we decided to go for like um uh, a large group of, of uh, supporters and shareholders from the German startup scene. Mm-hmm. So um, I, through the network I've built over all those years, I approached a lot of successful founders like the founder of Trivago yeah. or the founders of Check24 um, or the founders of ResearchGate and then like, like lots and lots of people like that who gave us about um, about 5 million euros. Um, to build up this university, and that's, 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 uh, that's the money we, we, we're still using. Yeah. Um, and, um, at, at the same time, but that's, that's more important even. Um, we have a partner who helps us to finance these, these income share agreements. So, um, they're called Chancen Genossenschaft, and, um, they, um, they are like interested in providing fair and socially, Uh, responsible like pay later models uh, to students and they are basically helping us to Uh, pre-finance this and this helps a lot because uh yeah obviously otherwise we would need to invest millions and millions into waiting for the money yeah definitely cool and
1: interesting story but uh, let's go back to seven load for a second so when you started it you were quite young right and you didn't have really experience how to lead a team so Did you first go bootstrap on that or do you go right away for your friend, get investment, get a small team and just scale the team? How was the approach there in the beginning? Yeah, in the beginning, um,
0: I like for, I don't know, like a year at least or so, I was just the only developer Yeah, and my co-founder was the only other employee, so to say. And, um, uh, I worked for free, obviously. And I mean, the thing is when you're so young, you're still living, like I was still living with my parents and stuff like that. So you basically have no costs at all. Yeah. That's a big, uh, big, um, advantage. So we basically bootstrapped it back then, but then, um, we were actually like more or less proactively also, um. Uh, Approached by by uh, interested investors uh, because the site became more and more successful, and then we started to take on this funding, and then obviously uh, grew a lot. Um, Actually, in hindsight, uh, probably a little too much also because, uh, as you said, I um, I then more and more like we recruited more and more experienced managers. Yeah. Um, which was on one hand very good and I obviously learned a lot from that and they did a good job in many many parts but um, it also meant that at some point um, I myself as a founder gave up a lot of um control and influence yeah. because i mean when you when you take uh, take in so much money from investors then obviously they have a lot of shares also yeah. and um and and uh, yeah and then it's then then the other managers also have a very strong position and that meant um, that meant that i as a founder um, didn't feel as uh, let's say as responsible in the end I think that's something that I that I swore to me that I always that I never want to ha- um yeah let happen again that that basically I that back then I only let the tech team at the end basically so it was the CTO yeah but all the other things were basically um done by the other by the other yeah. managers and um and uh, I think it's like these days um even I mean obviously also if you have co-founders you you split up the stuff, the, the the areas, that's totally fine. And obviously, you need to do that. And you obviously need to trust each other and give you a lot of freedom. But I think in the end, it's still super important that that you as a founder feel overly responsible. So there yeah. needs to be someone who says, it like, if there's something going wrong in another department that I'm not responsible for, at some point, you need to... Uh, to 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 pull the plug and say basically hey this is not working we need yeah. to fix it so basically that that was um yeah um, like a thing that that happened because i was so inexperienced but at the other like at the same time i think what what uh, helped a lot is that i um that in, in in many areas it also helped that i was so young because uh, you know people like this with kids, story like, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg was also super young, you know, all of these like huge Silicon Valley founders were very young and um, not always, but a lot of the time that I also worked in Germany and people, people believed yeah. in that and liked it, especially since I had a technical role and, um, and I worked very hard and like basically all the time, but to me, it didn't feel like work, um, because like doing Creating great products, doing software development was always uh, like also my main hobby. So actually, when I look back, I realized that I worked basically 16 hours a day, seven days a week for years. Yeah, but it didn't feel like that. <laughs> so. Yeah. And yeah. your co-founder mainly did the marketing and. Uh, PR. PR. And did, the
1: did, whole getting thing. Getting investors on board yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. And he was responsible for the traffic, getting the traffic on the website. Yeah. Because. Especially, probably in the past it was easier to start that because there were not so many video platforms out there so you got easier people on putting content in, putting pictures in so you get it easier to start than probably today because YouTube dominating it.
0: Of course, I mean it was like the whole landscape of interesting sites on the internet was much smaller Um, and so that was obviously uh, that it has become much more competitive um, at the same time, I mean, it never has been as easy as now to found a company. Like, it's much easier to get capital. It's much like You can read so many books and blogs yeah. and podcasts about it that didn't exist at all back then. But on the other hand, like, if if you knew how to do it, uh, it was much easier than now.
1: So how many people you had under you as your CTO of Seminole?
0: As a CTO, I um, yeah, I was responsible for I think like forty people. Or so. Forty people. We were in total like one hundred twenty, and when we sold the company, I was uh, like twenty-four years old. Yeah.
1: And how uh, What did your co-founder was he CEO or was he?
0: He was ever? yeah. He was kind of a like uh, he in the end he mostly did a lot of like. Um, let's say, PR and business development. So he was like, um, I mean, using his networking skills out there representing us and stuff like that. So how did you learn to lead 40 people? Hmm. I don't know if I actually learned it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not a good people manager. Not until today. Um, Which like, so what does that mean? Um, I'm not very good in... um, a, I'm not very good in giving good feedback all the time. I think yeah. I'm more since I'm so involved myself into development. Yeah. I'm more the artist kind of guy, so yeah. I have like strong ideas of my own. Yeah. and I sometimes um, I think I'm a very calm guy, yeah. but I still I'm I'm um, like when I don't like something, I say it pretty clearly. Like yeah. this doesn't look good, and not like. But a good manager probably says, like, thank you so much for putting in all of that work. I like your ideas a lot, but blah, blah, blah. So much more, let's say, diplomatic, <laughs> like in general. And, yeah. and um, I think sometimes I'm a, a bit too straight for that and, I, and, um, and, and don't give enough appreciation because I take a lot of things for granted. Um, so, but why did it still work out and does and today? I mean, a, because I learned that others are better at that and I should hire yeah. these people. Like yeah. I should hire good, uh, like managers and find co-founders who are better at this. And, um, back then I think because I was leading by example, I think, as I said, I worked so hard and I think I also did a very good job as a developer myself i basically all the time i also programmed myself i was software architect yeah, but and i think people kind of looked up to me real, yeah. so yeah. so on a from a technical point of view they yeah, and they yeah. were all super young they were all my age so yeah. basically um, so I think it worked because they looked up to me because they respected me and um, and stuff like that, but not because I was a good manager.
1: Why you didn't hire an experienced developer?
0: Because normally, if you put a lot of young people together, <coughs>
1: mistakes happen. Mm-hmm. So why didn't you get like an old, experienced
0: programmer in? Or mm-hmm. I it th- worked out. So- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think mostly because um, I mean to to build up this. Culture, um, also this culture of, I don't know, working on weekends, and I I have to, as as I said back, um, when looking at it now, I realized how intense it was back then. It
1: felt normal.
0: It felt normal. It was like we had so much fun together. We were friends, like, and and um, that's 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 really interesting to realize now looking back. That sometimes I now I feel a little guilty that sometimes. I ask people, like, hey, are you coming in tomorrow on Saturday? I would never do that these yeah. days. Um, um, and, uh, and that's one thing when you work with very young people. And the other thing is there, there, there weren't so many experienced developers in web development, in PHP, yeah. in JavaScript, yeah. in Ajax, point, whatever. So experience didn't help so much with these new kind of things. Yeah. And by the way, as an addition to your,
1: to your um, points about leading, there's a book called Radical Condor, um, which is pretty interesting. It's about a former uh, manager of Google and Facebook, I think, or something. And she, ha- she has an example there, that, like Steve Jobs. Uh, there's a famous interview where he asked, like, okay, I heard from several people. They come with something to you and you say, that's shit. But you normally don't need it. Like they forget something to say, and all this. No, <laughs> and Steve Jobs said no. If it was shit, I told them it's <laughs> shit. So it's not about so much about like um, being super, like being this kind of fake right. nice to people. Yes. Honesty, straightness brings you a lot. I think it's at the end. It's about caring about your people. You know, mm. it's not about like saying, "Oh, you did this good, but you can do better." No, it's being straight and probably care just caring if you care you have it and like the book is long it's it's worth read yeah. it's a good read um, how how did you how did you guys make the decision to let seven lot go like how did you say okay cool let's sell it
0: that that was actually um, like it was two things um, for me and my co-founder um one of the most main motivations were that um as i said we lost a lot of influence on the company so yeah. at some point to us it felt a bit like not like we're the founders but we're just part of the company yeah. so um we had a lot of ideas on how to how to do things that um we couldn't uh, turn into reality because because the other managers didn't like it, and then the investors also didn't like it and stuff like that. So um, it didn't feel like our company so much anymore. And um, at the same time, um, there was tough competition, I mean, through YouTube, for example. Back then, um, YouTube already belonged to Google and had basically endless financial resources and technical resources. and. Creating a video platform is is very challenging technically, yeah. and also in terms of servers and bandwidth and traffic and all of that stuff. So it was very hard to compete with that. More that, uh, for example, they, yeah, I think, up until 2011 or so, YouTube didn't show any ads. Um, and then when when the content creators, we we also had a lot of like um, like what you these days call YouTubers. Yeah. <laughs> We, we had them um, like a lot of those back then on our platform and did a lot with them and for them also. but um, when you have at some point to show ads in front of the videos and they say hey uh, but when I upload my stuff to YouTube there's no ad, then what do you say? Yeah. And uh, so that's obviously a uh, like, argument. Um, let's say like a cross uh, subsidy uh, strategy that Google yeah. did there. Um so and, and on, on the other hand the other video platforms that still existed back then all belonged to bigger TV uh, companies like um like my uh, my video or Clipfish yeah. to RTL and and so they had a lot of content. And so it was very competitive at some point and then we realized that, that overall it seems to be a good uh, point in time to sell it so, now.
1: So no, yeah. It's always Hard decision, especially if it's your baby, because you build it up and you put a lot of time in. It's one of the hardest things to know when to let go. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one of the arts of, of things to do. Um, as you were into the more in the political field, and you said it's quite different. Can you elaborate a bit more? What was the difference? What did you learn about politics in comparison to? The real startup world
0: or the real world hmm I think I mostly learned a lot about um, networks and people again and how all of this um, comes together, how like opinions are formed and for example it's some as a lot of the time i um, it seemed like, or I found out that politics is much simpler than one would think. And that that, um, that if you know, like, um, I mean, it always depends, obviously, right? I mean, if you want to change a huge, like, law through parliament, I mean, that's much harder because there are, like, hundreds of people you have to influence, basically. But, for example, what we did for startups a lot is also... Um, like, for example, um, create grant programs to support like angel investors that invest in startups yeah. or or help the government to to set up funds like the uh, or to prolong funds like the high tech Gründerfonds um, and and all of that stuff or to increase the the uh, the, the subsidiaries for the Exist Gründerstipendium, which is also a huge yeah. grant program for student founders all of that stuff, that's usually stuff that doesn't go through parliament. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, actually, like, more, like, uh, created by the, the Ministry of Economics yeah. and stuff like that. And and I learned a lot about uh, how important the influential people in these ministries also are, like, um, the, the people who – because a lot of the time it's like – um, it's not like a minister comes up and says, uh, we want to do this and that. But it's more like you need a minister who says basically, hey, I I want to do more for founders and yeah. startups in Germany. Obviously, I mean, that, that's something he or she should should say yeah. that, that's that's on their list. Yeah. And then employees from the ministry basically come up with ideas and say like, hey, I think we should create a yeah. program that gives angel investors 20% of their money yeah. back if they invest in startups. Yeah. And you need to find these people and support them internally, so they can basically then uh, turn it into reality. Support
1: means you write them documents, you help them to, to yeah. argument it in the correct way. Exactly, you, the, you, the explain them, I mean, you explain it to them. I
0: mean, so a lot of the time, I mean, you know, luckily, um, I mean, we're we're lobbying for startups, not yeah. for tobacco. So yeah. <laughs> I hard. would say that, like, basically. All of the time what we're doing is a good thing um, for, for society and for, for Germany's economy as a whole. So we're promoting uh, innovative entrepreneurship. Uh, we're promoting job creation and stuff like that. So that's, that's a good thing. And a lot of the time, um, that's also something I realized before founding the association. A lot of the time the politicians are just looking for someone to talk to because an association is also, it's part of our democratic system, actually. That's something that I, that I then understood more and more after having established it, that um, politicians need a democratically legitimized representative they can talk to. So yeah. before that, it was like a minister wanted to do something for startups Hmm. But then he should he and their people should probably talk to some founders to find out if it makes sense or if it's a totally stupid idea because they are not experts in this business, right? but who did they talk to if they then just randomly invite successful people, they did that sometimes in the past, like invite some successful founders, yeah. but that's also very random that's also not a very clean way no. to do it politically
1: i don't know really um
0: mean, yeah. So, so they are, they were super happy when we were there because they said, wow, okay, cool. We have an official representative that we can like ask stuff. And they have their internal democratic methods, like that there's a, a board of entrepreneurs who's elected through the members of yeah. the association and stuff like that. And so they are basically, they have their, let's say, asses covered that they did did the right thing by asking the associations. And that's a big part of how this all works.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So if you want to see a change, you should, like, build also a lobby for that, that, like, politicians have an easier way Mm -hmm. to access information and go on an exchange than just random... Yeah.
0: Pick person. That's yeah, I mean, not it just, just makes sense. Yeah. Not just like proactively tell them what to do, but be there for the ones who already want to do something but yeah. need someone to talk to. Exactly. And there were a lot of people in politics who wanted to do more for startups but didn't know how and who to talk to. And as soon as we were there, that was much easier.
1: Cool. Cool.
0: So um what was, the, what was the decision process
1: you let uh, Lebenslauf.com go or let the gaming stuff go? Like, How did it come up there to say, okay, it's enough, I mm-hmm. let it go?
0: The gaming company was because we had like less than 100,000 euros in the bank <laughs> and it was okay. very hard to raise new capital or, or we didn't feel comfortable to raise yeah. new capital on something that didn't work uh, until then. Um, the um thing was was much more interesting um, because back when I sold it, um, until then I I had a you you like to download your PDF in the end you had to pay some a few euros yeah five euros or so and uh, I made a lot of revenue back then also uh, already so I it made like I don't know fifteen thousand euros in profits per month or so. And so I had this decision of hey, I could just let it run, fifteen thousand euros already, perhaps more success in the future, per month in profits, pretty nice if it's if it's yours. Um how or did you, how did you make profit there? Like did you
1: Pay the PDF export, yeah, okay, exactly. They could
0: like do credit card, PayPal, and stuff like that. And so, to get a PDF file, okay, um, and for free was like only an online version basically. And everybody wanted to PDF file, obviously. So, um, that was very, very, very interesting decision because you had to anticipate like where could it go, is it a smart move to sell it, but. um also I had to anticipate that I still like it was a lot of fun but I wanted to do something much bigger like yeah. building a university and it takes up your time also. Yeah. Um and um but with with Xing I had a deal that was very much focused on um it was pretty much like an affiliate deal so we had a lot of milestones and they said like and um, what they uh, wanted to do with it and are still doing, I think, is they didn't want to make money with it on its own, but they wanted to drive registrations for Xing yeah. because they found out, like when, when we talked, um, that, that most of our users weren't uh, users of their platform or yet. And obviously it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, yeah. you create a CV, you turn in yeah. all the data that uh, like, a company like Xing also wants to have on their profiles, and Xing is free, so um, they they have then other business models like the job market and so yeah. on. So they said basically, hey, let, just tell the users, hey, register at Xing for free, and you get your PDF also for, for free. For and then it.
1: of course they do that. Yeah,
0: and um, and then they they basically offered me a deal where they said for every registration that you drive within the next I don't know two and a half years, you get a specific amount of money. Um, and, and stuff like that. And um, so basically I had to sell it without knowing exactly what I will get for it in the end. I oh, mean, I had oh, like... there was
1: a the way you sold it. There this was a, a fixed, there was a fixed okay. price
0: involved, but the fixed price was very low. Uh, and like, I don't know, like 95% of it was, was variable. Did you do the same like uh, on...
1: Uh, like, did you also check competitor... Uh, offers. Yes, the
0: competitor offers had a higher fixed price, but um, a they but but low like but lower than the potential of the Xing yeah. deal, and most importantly, um, they required me. That was also a very important component to be on site to basically come to okay. the office every day for one and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. And Xing basically said, "Hey, we we and that was a good thing in the end. They said you're an entrepreneur." You like, um, you want to mostly work from home. I mean, Xing was in Hamburg, I was in Cologne still. Um, you want to retain your freedom. Um, so why not do a very entrepreneurial deal? That means yeah. like the more successful you are, the more money you get. So, and that in general, and, and I so in general, yes. I like their culture yeah. and their brand yeah. much more. I think selling to Xing is much cooler than selling to, yeah. I don't know, any other job and company plus a clean cut.
1: Yeah, it's. It's a lot about to understand how entrepreneur thinks. Because I had the same, like I also uh, sold a startup and uh, we wanted to have a clean cut. And mm-hmm. all the other deals were, yeah, no, we can offer you more, but you need to make sure that this and this happens and mm-hmm. go with us. And if you want to have a clean cut, that's the opposite of what mm-hmm. you want. You want to start something new, so you want to yeah. a clean cut. So. I completely understand you. Mm-hmm. So, but Singh said, "Okay, that's a milestone deal," and at the end, we still have it. So,
0: still, you gave exactly. It to them, yeah. And uh, but the thing was, so I was very re- reluctant to do it because, um, I mean, um, when you make when you turn something that costs money into a free product, then obviously you probably have a lot more customers. But the question was, how many more? Because I didn't have any clue how many people would, um, yeah, would would do this then, and. Uh, um, and then um, but Singh was reluctant to I don't know do some kind of pilot test and yeah. so on um, I think just because they wanted to have the deal done quickly and and uh, then at some point I uh, did a very uh, risky thing so to say I decided uh, because I delayed and delayed and delayed my decision then I came up with the idea that on one weekend like I don't know in the spring of 2014 I um, created a fake Xing registration on williamslof.com instead of having to pay. So basically, it looked like the thing we were going for—like, hey, yeah. you can download your PDF. Just enter your data here to register Xing. But That's it was, data a f- protection was <laughs> kind of dangerous. <laughs> it was before GDPR. <laughs>
1: Log into your Xing account here, please. <laughs> yeah,
0: and it and it um, it was it was totally like the form didn't work at all. So yeah. it basically said. Uh, when you did that, it sent you an email saying that hey, there was an yeah. error creating yeah. your Xing account, but here's your PDF. Yeah, I also gave up about I don't know like uh, Some two thousand of euro, two thousand euros of revenue yeah. that weekend, but um, I found out that like before that, like n- little less than twenty percent of the people who used yeah. the site paid. Yeah. After that, it was ninety yeah. percent, so. and then I, I saw the numbers and I thought like okay. oh my god let's okay let's do the deal yeah. and uh, that's how it happened and I'm very happy also with like how it all turned out how I worked together with Xing they very yeah, nice cool. people and culture really cool
1: yeah what, what I also what also comes to my mind is you are now in a completely different position with different responsibilities different things to do right now than before so do you have still side projects so where, what do you do where you your one-man
0: um, army. <laughs> Yeah, I would love to. No, actually, sometimes um, these days it's more and more difficult, and it's mostly because we we don't find uh, other people. Um, sometimes I still do programming on our university website. Yeah. It was created by me, designed and developed in the beginning. And sometimes now, when we need to add some things, it's still uh, still me who, who jumps in. But other than that, I um, I do um, some angel investments. So I have, a, I don't know, about 10 or 15 angel investments who, like, require some time from me, like some consulting meeting with the founders from time to time, but not so much. And then I still voluntarily um, do stuff for the German startups association. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, here and there, some other volunteer stuff, like for the entrepreneurs organization and so on. But... But that's it. So it's basically really like 90% university. Yeah. 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 So the next question is, uh, what are your favorite books? <laughs> actually, um, actually I don't read, basically don't read books at all in the last years, okay. which is very sad. And I feel bad about it because there are so many interesting books I want to read. We can talk about that. But I basically read none uh, during the last years because... I um, I don't know I just didn't take the time I like when I when I came home I was like I wanted to focus on private stuff and relax a little more and uh, and and other than that I had so much to do yeah um, stuff I uh, I definitely uh, want to read is um, is like all the typical founders books you read about and I've heard a lot about for example uh, the hard thing about hard things yeah. from zero to one yeah. Um, I and right now I um, have uh, on my table, but not yet read. Let's see, the the new book from um, uh, from um, Ben Horowitz. I think it's called. It's about company culture. Yeah, that's something I think a lot about these days. Yeah, yeah well, I will. I search the title ben and like, put it. Yeah, put it in. Um, I don't that's get the name right I definitely want to read because company yeah. culture is. a very important thing all the time and very demanding. Also, when running a university, which is so much about people. Yeah. And um, yeah. And and in general, I so so I'm. I think I am not a good example of, um, of of uh, when it comes to books. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not about that. Like
1: it's 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 all only about the curiosity and like educate yourself. And you can also educate yourself in asking people like what yeah. to do. Um, so, what I like to do is, I don't like to read myself as well, I would like to le- listen more to audiobooks. Mm-hmm. So what I always do, I always have, in washing stuff, cooking stuff, and going from A to B, I always have audio stuff in the background, and then go from there, and sometimes podcasts, sometimes certain books, and um, this is my way to, to go into that. But it's also really effective to choose your book sometimes on uh, some things you have in your mind. So we say, okay, I want to learn more about culture, and then go die-clean that, and then keep the random stuff in there. Like, yeah. you know, random stuff from the side, where, you like, in a different podcast, someone said, like, he does it really extensively. So he read a book about ISIS, he read a book about, like, how the how the um, the boxes of uh, ships, like the, the how you call this, this um containers? Yeah how they change the world more than internet yeah. so it's, we say okay interesting i never mm-hmm. heard about it so that's that's a way of, to go about yeah. it and yeah
0: and i also like what i do is i read a lot online um which is not as as deep as reading a whole book but stuff like hacker news i read yeah. daily um reddit also some some subreddits and stuff like that so i try to get a lot of like inspiration and also pretty much know always what's going on, what's trendy. And if something then interests me, I dig deeper. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how I do it these days. Yeah, cool. And the last question. If you could go back in time
1: to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him?
0: So one thing I already mentioned, that is, uh, that is don't give up too much control and responsibility, uh, even if you feel young, so basically sometimes don't, don't, um, underestimate yourself and don't undersell yourself. Um, because people can also like, um, what, what happened is also that people, um, basically use the fact that you're so young to, to, um, yeah, to, to get, I don't know, more shares in your company or whatever. So use that against you and be careful with that. Um, then, to um, hmm, I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of stuff where I would say I um, I I think I did right, which I would definitely recommend to others again. Which is a build a network, go yeah. out there, talk to others. Don't be don't be reluctant about that. Don't be shy in sharing your yeah. ideas. Um, then the other thing is um, the other thing is to. Um, to find co-founders and to to make like make them friends essentially. So um, I was always much better in a team than yeah. than without others. Um, and that is something that I really recommend to anyone. Uh, and then to follow your passion. I mean, for me, I'm, I I don't know if it's uh, like if it uh, came across like this, but if you if you follow what I did, it's actually always like uh, what I wanted to do so video platform was also because I was interested in this and the technology and then gaming because I wanted to do gaming and the, the Lebenslauf thing resume thing was something that, that came out of a friend uh, and the university obviously is my own yeah. life story so to say so I was never the guy who was super analytical about okay what can I build that yeah. makes the most money or that yeah. has the most customers um, I did it differently and for me that worked out very well Cool. Thank you. Thank
1: you very much.